Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. They had to close the beach after they found the carcass. I watched them load it into a truck. It was the biggest shark I had ever seen, and according to a news report the next morning, the chunk taken out of its left side was the biggest bite wound a marine biologist had ever officially recorded. I couldn't imagine the animal that was able to carve out such an enormous piece of a great white and then just leave it for dead. Little did I know, I wouldn't have to imagine it for long. Can you believe these guys? You couldn't pay me to go out on the water right now, my friend Chloe said as we watched a pair of jet skiers take off into the sunset. Chloe shook her head at them and continued sweeping the dock, brushing bottle caps, cigarette butts, crushed shells, and sand into the water. Docked boats were bobbing all around us. The water made gurgling sounds as it was sucked beneath their hulls, then sprayed back out again. You really think there's something out in the water? I asked as I checked a knot. The day was ending and I had to make sure no one's boats were going to float away in the night. Um, it doesn't matter what I think. Those scientists said that they've never seen anything like that bite wound, Lonnie. That shark could have washed in from anywhere. Who says some bigger shark or maybe even an orca didn't kill it miles away? And stop calling me Lonnie. Then why did they close the beaches? What else are they supposed to do? They'll watch the water today and if they don't see anything, they'll open the beach again. It's nothing to get worked up over. I'm glad people are still going out and enjoying the water. If they weren't, you and I would be out of a job. Chloe rolled her eyes. Whatever you say, Lonnie. Stop that. What, you actually want me to call you Lawrence? Lawrence? Gross. No, thank you. I'd call you Lance, but you're not cute enough to be a Lance. Okay, thanks. Anything else you'd like to comment on, or are we done for the day? I asked. I wasn't actually upset. Will, our boss, said Chloe liked me, and constantly putting me down was just her selected brand of flirtation. I jumped as a booming voice behind me shouted, Yo, Len, let's go. It was my dad. He's the only person who calls me Len, a nickname I hate even more than Lonnie. I don't have the heart to tell him, though. He's called me Len since I was a baby, according to Mom. Coming, Dad, I replied. I hadn't realized what time it was. Dad worked on engines down at the south end of the island. We had to ride the ferry out there every morning and back every night. 
The ride only took about 30 minutes, but it felt like an eternity after a long day of work. All right, I'll see you tomorrow, I told Chloe. Actually, can I come with you? She asked. Mom asked me to pick up her bike. She had the brakes replaced and I guess it's ready to come back. Uh, sure. Dad doesn't like to wait though, so hurry up. Chloe finished while I was talking to Dad. I told him she wanted to join us and asked him to wait a few minutes. He begrudgingly agreed. To pass the time, I asked him what he thought about the dead shark. That's right, you said you saw it, didn't you? He asked. Yeah, I was running past when they showed up with the truck. It was a nasty looking bite, but I don't know. Seems like everyone's overreacting. Not out here, Dad said. That's why I love spending all day on the island. I think people out here have a better grasp of how dangerous the ocean is. They accept it. They risk everything by living out here and don't let fear run their lives. I thought of the jet skiers and wondered if they would be back soon. A small part of me really hoped they would be. Knowing they had made it back safely would have helped put my mind at ease, but before I knew it, Chloe was jogging across the dock to join us. I would never know if they made it back to shore. Ready? Dad asked. Yep, Chloe said cheerfully. Mind if I tag along? Will had appeared in the doorway of his office shack. He was already locking the door behind him. You don't get to tell us what to do, though. We're off the clock, Chloe said sternly. Will smiled. Deal. Together, we all walked to the ferry. We waited on the top deck while all the cars were loaded on. The crew directed them into two orderly lines. I often felt envious of the drivers. They at least had a comfortable seat for the ride to and from the island. We either had to stand or sit against the hard metal guardrails. I usually oscillated between the two. A speaker right above my head crackled and the captain's tired, raspy voice came through. Folks, we will be departing in just a minute. Due to environmental concerns, the Coast Guard has requested some additional safety precautions. The way the captain was speaking implied he was reading a prepared statement. He sounded unsure about his words. We are requesting everyone stay in their vehicles for the duration of the trip. If you do not have a vehicle, we ask you to remain on the top deck and away from the water. Thank you. Environmental concerns? Will asked my dad. Dad shrugged. Chloe gave me a mischievous glance. I'm not sure what she meant by it. The ferry launched and we began the slow, smooth ride back home. The sun was only barely cresting over the horizon now. We were riding directly towards it, and I could see the mainland silhouetted against its orange glow. I hoped we would reach the dock before dark. We had ridden the ferry in the dark countless times, but the captain's warning had made me and everyone else uneasy. I felt darkness would only make us all more nervous. Oh, great, Chloe muttered. What? I asked. Well, I had to pee real bad before we left, and since you rushed me to leave, I totally forgot to go. But the captain said, Chloe put her hand over my mouth, the captain can say whatever he wants, but I gotta go. Make it quick, my dad said. Chloe nodded and took a few steps toward the stairs, but then she nervously turned back. Will you come with me? She whispered. Gone was the confident, mischievous hardness I had seen on her face before. Chloe was genuinely worried and apparently couldn't mask her fear anymore. I silently cursed the captain for being so vague. I figured the odds were whatever environmental concerns the Coast Guard was worried about were probably not even that dangerous, but the warning seemed to have scared Chloe pretty bad. I nodded and followed her. Where do you think you're going? Dad demanded. Will looked uncomfortable. I gotta go too, I lied. 
Dear Lord. Well, hurry up, you two. Dad ordered. Chloe and I went down the metal stairs as quietly as we could. We didn't want the crew hearing us and ordering us back to the top. Thank you, Chloe whispered when we got to the bathrooms on the main level. There were two of them directly across from one another. No problem, I said. I'll wait in the other bathroom and listen for you to come out. That way no one will catch me and make me go up without you. We went into our respective bathrooms and I waited patiently on the toilet. I jokingly thought to myself that I had finally found a somewhat comfortable seat on the ferry. The humorous thought scurried from my mind as an unusual sound came from beneath my feet. The floor was rumbling, and I felt my feet vibrate a little. The rumbling stopped a moment later, and I froze with anticipation. I heard the other bathroom door squeak open and quickly opened my door too. Did you feel that? Chloe asked. Yeah, what do you think? I was interrupted by a metallic grinding noise. The whole ferry lurched as the bow came up out of the water. I heard screams above us and muffled cries coming from inside the vehicles. The cars were all smashing together as the ferry tipped backwards. Crunching metal and shattering glass created an apocalyptic soundscape as the ferry kept tipping back further and further. Chloe half fell, half stumbled out of her bathroom and landed on the deck. She was rolling towards me when I fell backwards and the bathroom door closed. In the small, isolating space, I realized I was screaming. With a deafening splash, the bow came back down and the ferry leveled out. I shouted Chloe's name as I crawled to the door and pushed it open, but she wasn't where I had last seen her. I hesitantly stepped out to look for her, staying close to the door in case the ferry tipped again. Nearly everyone had gotten out of their mangled cars, their worried voices creating a dizzying cacophony of terror. Ladies and gentlemen, please stay calm and return to your seats. You will be safe in your vehicles, the captain said. He kept his voice level, but he still sounded scared. His nervous tone added to the fear on deck. Safe from what? A shrill woman demanded. As if in response, the awful grinding sound returned and the starboard side rose out of the water. The cars all started to slide again. The shrieks of terror were joined by grotesque howls of excruciating pain and wet gnashing sounds. Horrified, I realized people were being crushed to death in the mess of vehicles. I was pulling myself back into the safety of the bathroom when a small coupe popped up from the mass of twisted metal, forced out of the cluster by a large van. The little car started tipping toward me and I used every ounce of strength to pull myself inside the bathroom. The car crashed to the deck right outside the door, right where my legs had been a split second earlier. Then the ferry righted itself again. The car was smashed against the doorway and had only left about a foot of clearance at the top. Climbing over the car was not an option. Especially, I thought, if the ferry were to get tipped again, I'd be cut in half if that happened while I was trying to squeeze through the gap. The ferry had stopped moving entirely now. The engine no longer filled the bathroom with its low groan, water no longer sloshed beneath the vessel. In the novel silence, I could hear noises no person should ever have to hear. Cries of loss, screams of agony, whimpers of terror, all mixed together out on the deck while the ferry rocked listlessly in the waves. I kept waiting for some sort of announcement from the captain, but it never came. Lonnie? My heart skipped when I heard Chloe's voice outside the bathroom. Chloe? I'm here. I'm still in the bathroom. Are you alright? Um, yeah. I guess I'm okay besides some scrapes and bruises. What's happening out there? I asked, afraid to hear the answer. Chloe was now right behind the car. 
I could hear her feet stamping in the shallow puddles on the other side. There's... Her voice wavered. I could hear a cocktail of emotions bubbling in her throat. There's something under us. In the water. Something big enough to tip the whole ferry? I asked. Chloe didn't answer. She didn't really need to, and I felt stupid for even asking. I redirected my questions. Do you know why we stopped? Where's the captain? I don't know, I don't know. I just needed to find you, she said. Chloe, where's Len? It was my dad's voice I heard now. Chloe showed him where I was, and soon the car started to rock back and forth. I joined in, pushing when the car rocked away from the door, and soon it tipped over. I was comforted to see Chloe, Dad, and Will looking in at me from the other side. Come on, get out of there, Dad said. We argued for a minute because I felt much safer inside the bathroom than out on the deck where people were getting flattened by their own cars. Dad went out in the end, though. He said we would get trapped as I already had and go down with the ship if the ferry capsized. Will demanded we stop arguing at that point, and I unwillingly abandoned my bathroom sanctuary. The sun had vanished. The ferry's soft amber lights illuminated the deck, but the water remained pitch black. If there really was something down there, we didn't have a chance in hell of seeing it coming. Come on, we need to go back up to the top in case that thing hits us again, Will said. Dad added, stay away from the cars. But that simply wasn't possible. There was no path back to the stairs that didn't involve walking through or past the tangled mass of vehicles. I kept my eyes trained forward as we worked our way past the wreckage. I could hear people groaning and crying all around me. My foot slipped once, and when I looked down, I saw my white sneakers were stained red. I realized the whole deck was coated in slick blood. I pressed ahead but tripped only a few seconds later. I managed to catch myself on the hood of a car before I landed on the gory deck. Regrettably, I looked back to see what I had tripped over. Between the hood of the car I had caught myself on and the tailgate of the lifted pickup truck it had been smashed against, a woman's mangled leg protruded. A high-heeled shoe dangled from her limp toes. Lonnie, come on, Chloe called back to me. She and the others had reached the stairs. Dad was already nearing the top. I ran after them as I bounded up the stairs two at a time, eager to get away from the heavy cars. Then, it growled. The massive beast in the black water let forth a booming roar like thunder that seemed to echo in the water. We all went still. The shouting, moaning, crying people below quieted instantly. All but a wailing baby. And everyone stayed quiet after the roaring ended. We need to kill the lights, Will whispered to my dad. How? he asked. Probably in the wheelhouse. Follow me. Will crept around my dad and onto the top deck. We all mimicked his movements as we followed. I was glad to see a few other people had managed to stay unharmed on the upper deck. It was good to know there were more able-bodied persons aboard. The wheelhouse door was locked. The captain must have sealed it after the ferry took the first blow, I thought. My dad knocked, but none of us were surprised when there was no answer. Do you think he's even alive? Will asked. No one spoke, but I had an idea. Maybe one of the crew members has a key, I said. Dreadfully, I realized I hadn't seen a single crew member on the upper deck. That probably meant they were all tangled up in the cars below. Will said, I'll go see if I can find, but he was interrupted when the ferry took the most violent hit yet. The port side was pushed up this time, 
I slid against the guardrail and wrapped my arms around it at the elbows. Dad tried to grab the door but ended up hitting the rail too. He grabbed it just in time to save himself. Chloe had fallen to the deck and rolled. The rail caught her, but as the ferry tipped further and further, she was coming dangerously close to slipping through. I wanted to reach over and grab her, but I knew if I let go, I would fall. Will missed the rail entirely. He was launched head first over the side of the deck. Below us, cars were sliding and falling over the side of the ferry, taking screaming men, women, and children with them. Will landed in the water in the middle of this mess. Bonnie, Chloe screamed. Her legs fell between the guardrails and she was just barely holding herself up. I looked at her helplessly. Just a few more seconds and she would have fallen, but the ferry was righted just in time. We weren't given a chance to feel any relief, though. The cars that went overboard all sank immediately. The injured and terrified people that had fallen in with them were helpless in the dark water. I saw Will among them. They were all floundering, some pawing at the hull trying to find a grip and pull themselves out, but there was no hope. No one could have moved fast enough to save themselves. Without any warning, a gigantic pair of jaws erupted from the water like an enormous clam, but with rows of razor-sharp teeth. The jaws clamped around nearly everyone in the water, including Will. The few who were left were sucked down a moment later, whether from the sheer force of the beast's descent or by some horrible appendage. I'm not sure. But they didn't come back up. Chloe was crying. I think I was too. Dad was pounding on the wheelhouse door again, screaming, You gotta go! You gotta get us moving! We're all gonna die out here! He shouted. To our surprise, the door actually cracked open. The captain peered through the gap and said, There's nothing I can do. I'm sorry. Why not? Dad demanded. If I start the engine, it will attack again, the captain said. Dad rammed the door like a linebacker, sending the captain stumbling back. Sir, what you're doing is a crime, the little captain shouted. Kill the lights, Dad ordered. I'm sorry. I said kill the damn lights. The captain scurried toward the control board and hit three switches. The deck outside went dark. Do you have sonar or anything like that? Dad asked. The captain shook his head. Then we wait, Dad said. And we did. My heart felt like it did after sprinting, and it stayed that pace for almost five minutes. Then we heard the beast roar again. We braced for impact. Chloe clutched my arm and Dad grabbed a handle on the wall and a fistful of my shirt. But the impact never came. A couple more minutes passed, and we heard the beast again. This time its roar was distant and fading. My dad looked at the captain, and the captain understood. With the speed and agility of a squirrel, he started up the motor and got us moving towards the mainland again. Somehow, maybe through luck, or maybe because the beast had had its fill, we made it. We survivors were all interviewed by a biological research team, after the cops were done with us, of course. The researchers seemed puzzled by one particular shared element of our accounts. The size of the jaws seemed to worry them. I had seen the beast's mouth the clearest, so I gave them the best description. I told them, when open, the jaws had been about half the length of the ferry. One of the researchers put an image on the screen. I immediately recognized the shark from the beach, the one with the bite taken out of it. Does this bite look like it might have come from the creature that attacked you? One of the researchers asked me. 
No, I told him honestly. It just wasn't possible. What attacked us could have just swallowed that whole shark, I said. The researchers all shared concerned looks, and I think I understood what they were thinking at that moment. Whatever had attacked us is still out there, and it seems it might not be alone. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.